Welcome to On Culture. On this podcast, we talk about culture and faith and the world and our place in it. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support our work and explore all of our content on our website, theembassy.substack.com. Here's Mike. Welcome back to another episode of On Culture. On Culture is the podcast of The Embassy. You can find that at theembassy.substack.com. I am joined uh, this evening, because it's an evening when we're recording. You can listen to it at any time. Um, by Evan Sherman, uh, my, my eldest child. Uh, how you doing, Evan? Doing good, doing good. I'm not sure if I should be um, honored for being brought on to discuss sophisticated things, or if I should cynically recognize that I'm here to discuss the things that nobody else wants to talk about. But uh, Yeah, I mean, it's I'm, a little I'm, of both. I'm, I'm kind it's of, little, I'm here for, it's going to be fun either way, but. It's a little of both. It's a little of both. I mean, I know you're up to it, and I know other people may not feel super, super duper comfortable. We'll be talking about the Mideast, but not like a ton, mm. but enough, because it sort of illustrates uh, sort of the point I'm trying to make uh, mm. in the piece. And, the, and, you know, I talk about, um, this, this, uh, I start with this initial sort of, oh, push into explainer journalism that, you know, Vox was, I think it was the first really to launch into it full fledged. And I was, I was a bit hopeful actually, uh, when it launched, but, um, I was disappointed, you know, fairly soon because it wasn't, it was supposed to be, it, it built itself as a neutral sort of facts based, even handed let's explain the issues and let's cover them based on that. Mm. And of course they had a point of view that was probably um, unrealistic to expect. They were, their point of view was not going to um, heavily tilt their explanation. Um, But uh, you know, it did. And then, but also I think sometimes the explanation was um, it's hard to explain without having some sort of a, a moral framework in uh, a common moral framework, I think, uh, anything political, um, because mm. I do think there's so much of the more, you know, the political is the, is sort of the universe of the moral absent, you know, religion being that it sort of becomes politics. So, um, so I don't know, what are your thoughts on the whole explainer journalism and sort of, you know, we're going to tell you what this means and all of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's a lot of aspects. I think it's interesting, and it's not a coincidence that you chose Vox because at the end, the entry of Vox into the industry was a notable event. But it's just interesting that so Ezra Klein, um, I think he now works for the New York Times, but he very famously um, led Vox in its early going, and in some ways pitched it as this transcendent source that was kind of cut through all the bias. But I'm I'm paraphrasing him, but I want to say that he said he somewhat infamously somewhat famously uh noted the way that the uh, the only way that media companies can operate in this environment is to actually accept the fragmentation of audience um was to recognize mm-hmm. that look there is no yeah. unified audience there is no single tent in which we all can shelter um ideologically demographically what you know with various different ways that you can slice up um the potential market for news content um, there is no common audience anymore. So all the best that any content producer can do to include news producers is they can just f- find their audience, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think and it's, that's... it's that's dark, but I think it's he was probably 
right about that. Yeah. And so I just so think it's, it's totally interesting. That, yeah. Yeah. It's totally and just, true. So I think and... it's not so much, uh, and I think we agree about this probably, but to land that, I, I, I don't think it's so much of a supply side problem as a demand side problem. Like right. everyone yeah. participates, but I think he yeah. recognizes this is the way, this is what people want. They want to hear what yeah. they want to hear. You know? Yeah. And it, you know, so I don't know, it, it could be a little bit of both. I don't know if they thought they were going to like try to cut it down the middle and failed, but at any rate, because M- Matthew Iglesias was the other, was a co-founder mm. of Fox. Neither one of them work there anymore. Right. Uh, Iglesias and Iglesias left is, kind of dis- disillusions with yeah. the very project you're describing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's on Substack now, so he's sort of as uh, you know works for himself, um, and uh, Ezra Klein is at the New York Times, um, and so they're both people of the left, uh, and so that's mm-hmm. not surprising that you know their explanation is tilted that way. But to your point, the the you know the old world where uh, you know Walter Cronkite wanted to appeal to the vast middle of the country, where you know, most people agreed on lots of things and that's where their home base is going to be. Um, it isn't that there's not Walter Cronkite anymore. It's just that that vast middle of America that agrees on most things doesn't exist anymore. Uh, mm. And it sort of becomes a vicious cycle where the more you appeal to a certain demographic and give them the news they want, mm. the more the people who don't want that news tune into something else. And that other place gives them what they want and it strengthens the, you know, and so it is sort of, and I do think that's part of, you know, one of the reactions to that is the Substack phenomenon where people are trying to carve out a, uh, their own audience that maybe cuts through that. uh, And maybe it's financially viable because they don't have any overhead and, you know, they get a thousand people to subscribe at, five bucks a month that, you know, they can keep the lights on. Mm -hmm. They get 10,000, they're doing well. So, um, uh, full disclosure, I have something less than that. Uh, something less than both of them. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, But I think the most, uh, uh, well, I think that's not a coincidence though, that you, as our, we could go on the furthest for a long time, but I think you, your use of Substack is for that purpose, right? Like your mm -hmm, use of Substack is to try to appeal to anybody, but I think yeah. the the people that have the most subscribers on Substack tend to be the people that have mastered this even more than Vox has, maybe, to where they've they've just carved they've the, the vehicle of Substack lets them publish for themselves. Mm-hmm. They don't have the same editorial staff, so they can just find an yeah. even narrower slice of the pie and use the internet to pull them in. You know, but I, I, you know, maybe it's just the part of that ecosystem that I'm in and that I look at. It's that they can carve out a piece of the middle and mm. appeal to the people disillusioned with the left and the right. Uh, and they have enough, you know, they don't need that many people to do that. And that's sort of where they want to live because right. they, a lot of those people are no longer the Matthew Glaces of the world. He's still on the left, but he's not as far left as, you know, a publication might want him to be. So, mm. you know, uh, so he's able to, to live in that world. And it all does speak to, you know, your point about, the fragmentation of what we want in the news sort of intersecting with, you know, my point that I hit in the piece is that part of that is our moral framework uh, culturally more and more is tied up with our politics. And that's even true of Christians is even true of the church. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be, uh, 
you know, that heavily weighted towards the political, but um, it, in some ways for most people, it's the soul, it's the soul arena of right and wrong. And mm -hmm. so you're not somebody I might disagree with politically. You know, you're not somebody that for which we have different policy ideas to reach a common goal of alleviating poverty or whatever. I'm good and you're evil. Um, mm -hmm. And therefore, I mean, so I, I'm probably not going to be very open to your argument and, you know, to compromise with you or to come part way or to be open you know, that's, a, you know, it's a stark description, I, but I think there's enough of that around where it, we just close ourselves off to views we don't want, not because, um, not only because some consumeristic view, but because that view is evil. Those people are bad uh, mm. and I don't want to be associated with the bad people. Right. Um, do you see that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I would take it further um, and say that that's the, the, those people are bad is the main point in the, mm -hmm. in the discussion of various um, policy details or facts of, of events on the ground are basically filler after the fact that, mm -hmm. I mean, that's, I, I agree that that's become more prominent in politics as politics has taken a larger intellectual, emotional, social role um, in our culture. Um, but I think that just describes the way that most people think most of the time about anything. It's the, uh, the Jonathan Haidt, it's the righteous mind um, mm -hmm. that can apply to how spouses fight with each other. <laughs> that can apply mm -hmm. to, you know, anything like it, where you, you start with how you feel about something mm -hmm. or what you think, or you start with the, you start with what you believe, basically. Often that's just height, you know, being a materialist describes it. It's just like a gut feeling. He doesn't know mm -hmm. what he, he doesn't exactly know how to describe the cosmic origin point. But then what he's interested in is the way that we rationalize after the fact based on the mm -hmm. thing we already started with. And then we right. fill in, again, descriptions of what actually happened, details right. of what something means on the basis of the thing we already want. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, I just, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, to say that it's everywhere is an understatement. I mean, there's, a, I mean, there's 10 million examples, but um, mm -hmm. <laughs> there's a million examples from politics that we could talk about. Um but yeah, yeah, but I, I think that I, yeah, it, it, it's a loop that feeds around and then we become used to interacting with people that way. And so, mm -hmm. yes, it, it, you know, politics, social media, social media, politics, family relationships, you know, friend relationships, associations work and out and around and around it goes. It does. It all seems to reinforce uh, it, itself. And you even see that in some people who are, um, you know, sometimes I feel like if, if I'm talking to somebody I don't know very well, they're trying to feel out, um, oh, I think this, I think I like this guy maybe, but what does he believe about X? Um, mm. as if that's really going to be the deciding factor. Um, but I think it is think that, in many ways, I think it is though, like it, it shouldn't yeah, be, no. but it is. Well, cause I think, yeah, I think what, that phenomenon is stronger than it was 20 years ago or 30 years yeah. ago. It's, it's become more and more that sort of thing where I'm not deciding about you uh, based on this interaction and what you're saying and my impression. I need to get beneath mm. that to what you believe about X or Y or Z, right. and then I'll know whether you're the good people or the right. bad people. Every detail and, is a potentially a sign into your soul, and that's what they're trying to right. determine based on right. sometimes and very petty, petty details. Yeah. 
Sure. And it becomes sort of a binary thing, you know, a binary sorting, you know, uh, mechanism. And I think that, you know, what you're talking about is how it creates a filter and how we see everything and how we understand the universe and how we, you know, decide on what is right and wrong. And then even based on that and what is true. Um, so well, I think we're circ- we're circling around this too, but we but to be more precise, I think it's it's not just right or wrong in the in a broad cosmic universalist sense. What we're really saying is, can I use this little detail, this little little thing, to look into your soul to find out what affiliation you have, what tribe mm-hmm. you belong to? What, are you yeah, one of my you're people, a, or yeah. are you are you one of right. um, yeah? Are you from some other pe- person? So you're I find trying to find out what you're about your identity but that identity isn't just this abstract thing that's specific to you mm-hmm. it's who are your people and are they my people yeah and then therefore yeah. if you're you know, my people are good and your people are bad just by definition right yeah and i think that's i think that is um it even makes it you know like if you don't really know what you think about x that's a, that's pretty suspect um mm-hmm. you know you, it, it kind of forces you to have a take or you know there's a pressure to have a take that I feel like I, I try to resist pretty uh, significantly, partly because I don't think things are that simple. Um, mm. You know, one of the points I'm I'm hoping to sort of make, at least in the in the piece, is that things are not that simple. Um, there's complexity and nuance. Sometimes, basically, you know, if there's a good, if there's a, a better side and a worse side, sometimes the better side does bad things. And sometimes the worse side does good things. It's not clean and simple. Um, mm. But at the same time, you can, you can look at the facts and form moral judgments as long as you're open to new facts and open to, you know, it being tentative. Um, and it comes back to, you know, you said something about people aren't, you know, basing it on some cosmic sense of right or wrong or good and evil. I think that's, that's exactly right. As long as I hold it to the point where I realize I'm not the decider of right and wrong or good or evil, that there is a decider, it's not me. And so I'm, I don't necessarily even have to decide. I can wait and see, I can talk to you more, I can think about it. Because I'm not the one deciding whether you're right or wrong or good or, or whether you're good or evil. Um, that's not a thing that's, you know, up to me, uh, even though there is, when the politics becomes the moral, that's, it seems like we do that a lot. So that's sort of the, the, you know, the point I'm trying to make about, you know, things are not simple, but we still can try to understand them and make judgments about them as long as we are humble and curious and open-handed about them. Mm. Um, and I think that's a difficult place to be in our world. Right. Well, I almost think, and yeah, I mean, we're just parsing words here, but the problem isn't so much that things, things themselves aren't sometimes are simple, right? Like the problem is that there's many things that are true at the same time. It's the yeah, mechanism yeah. of trying to simplify things into narratives, which are by extension, the, the banners of tribes that is painful. Oh, it, that, I mean, doing that can be painful having that process disrupted can be painful. Go, certainly going all the way to the edge of, yeah. I see that happening and I want to try to resist it as much as possible. That's the maximum cognitive dissonance. So it's not, yeah. it's complicated because 
of us. It's complicated because yeah. of our struggles with cognitive dissonance, yeah. our emotional, mental yeah. well, that's, anguish. That's bad. Trying to deal with things that are multiple simple things that are contradictory mm -hmm. and therefore yeah. hard, to, hard to deal with. Yeah, that's, I think that's a better, yeah, it's a better way of saying it than I was saying. We try to not, we try to simplify the narrative. And the narrative right. does consist of a bunch of things, some of which are contradictory somewhat. Um, but you still can form some tentative understanding. It just might be a little more complex. It isn't so, it, you allow the space for somebody with a different narrative might actually be right. And they might actually right. be wrong, but good. You know, wrong, but, uh, you know, no, I'm not morally superior. Um, and sort of to detangle all of that. Um, and I think partly, you know, I, I, yeah, the Mideast comment explained is obviously a bit of a joke. Hmm. Um, but I think that sort of, you know, goes to your point about a simple narrative. People have a simple narrative about the Mideast. And mm. the narrative of the Mideast is a little more complicated than simple. You know, it's not, it's easy to point at one people that say that are bad. It's easy to, and both sides do it. I mean, both sides are doing it right now. Um, and it is a little more complicated than that. Um, and I, I, I use the, the hospital, um, the blast at the hospital in Gaza is sort of an illustration of taking something and trying to fit it into a simplistic narrative. Um, and I use the New York Times as an example, but I don't know if they even they were first. It was it was all of them. It was AP, it was BBC, it was New York Times, mm. it was you know NPR. It was really all of the main you know. Right. sources of what we would call mainstream news all said Israeli strike bombed a hospital 500 dead mm. um, and it appears based on the facts we have now that none of those things are true um, and yet of course many people who want kind of want that to be true in a simplistic narrative Israel is the bad guy you know uh, demonstrations broke out all over the world um, and it's, it's that thing there. It's that's, it seems like such a stark example, mm. but it's the sort of thing that we do. We pick up a fact. We think it fits our narrative. We throw it in our narrative. And if we, even if we later find out it, it actually, that's not even what happened. It didn't change our narrative. Like nothing has changed. Well, I think right? it's, yeah. I mean, there's different ways we could tease this out. Um, I mean, there's there's that, right? There's also the way that the Times tried to, you know, when it became clear to people that have access to facts that their headline was basically wrong about everything with the caveat of, comma, you know, Gaza Health Authority says, Hamas yeah. says. But it's basically, mm -hmm. they were, it was wrong. Like, they did a bad job. But the way they reacted to that was, I think, illustrative, that... They knew, like, on the one hand, they had, they knew, like, the, you know, the facts turned out to be basically completely different than what they talked about. But they, you know, I, I want to say that the article the next day was, um, as something I'm paraphrasing, as facts on the, as a, the war causes facts on the ground to change, headlines shift or something. Mm -hmm. um, right. And even the next right. day, they, they, claimed i mean a few days later when they finally really gave a correction in something resembling an apology they like claim credit for apologizing but then they didn't actually apologize really 
because they like <laughs> like they still think they did like they're right right in the big picture right. they can't the conceive picture, the idea that they're wrong that they were, they were wrong, wrong about that particular blast thing but they're right about other things right. and so they were still right to post the that. headline somehow even though it was yeah. not <laughs> accurate because of some yeah. broader sense of this is what and i guess that's maybe that's a question like do you um i guess is it possible that it's cynical in the sense that like they understand that this is what their readers want to hear right in in this case it's a it's an economic proposition right they're essentially selling clicks but the same concept applies to anybody saying anything you know are you are they are they supplying what people want to hear or do they are they sincere that they you know do they were they sincere in their righteousness I, like i mean i think i i mean so here's yeah and i you know they even put a picture um you know the picture yeah they put a picture of a different page. building yeah <laughs> a different building obviously and so that's why i put both pictures in the piece and one of them you know is the parking lot and you know, it's a tragic thing. Lots of people died. Uh, it, mm. and it, you know, interesting thing about it is nobody meant for those people to die. You know, it was a rocket launched from Gaza that was aimed towards Israel. Um, you know, the other side of that coin was they were trying to kill, you know, people in Israel, those right. rockets. Um, I did read that there's a, a, hospital, a medical center in uh, Ashkelon, which is not far from Gaza in southern Israel, that's been struck repeatedly by rockets launched from Hamas, and that that's never been covered. Mm. Um, but but my point is, I don't think it's cynical in the sense that yeah, we know we're wrong, but we're going to say the wrong thing. Because part of my point is that we do this thing too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not necessarily an anti-New York Times, you know, screed. It's a, this is a very stark, ex, a bright, clear example of things that we do. Like what you said, we find these little pieces of facts. Mm. We might even find out later the facts are false, but even if the facts are true, there's enough true facts. If I'm only looking for certain facts, I fit them into my narrative and my narrative is reinforced. Mm. Uh, and then and what, once facts history, becomes enshrined that way, then they become tremendously important because it's not just a question of what happened. It's in order to acknowledge a difference in what happened, I have to change who I am. I have to change my whole identity. I have to change who I'm affiliated with. I have to change my whole, I have to recognize that. Yeah. I was, it's not yeah. just that the facts are wrong. I have to recognize that my whole narrative and the way I was thinking about this was wrong. And that, that's, that's too much to really deal with mostly. And then, so the, the stakes become huge for just very yep. specific little facts. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, I would say most of these people, if they, you know, they might have never had religious dogma, or maybe they grew up with strong religious dogma and left mm. it. But it, it feels like that to me, somebody with, I didn't grow up in the church, but I, you know, became a Christian and, you know, since have a seminary degree and I spent a lot of time reading and thinking about theology and dogma and positions mm. that it feels like people, it feels like dogma uh, is religious dogma. And when that happens, you're just not, you latch onto facts that you think are super important. Even if, you know, to take an example, there are Christians who believe that 
it's imperative to their entire belief system that God made the world and Adam and Eve 10,000 years ago, uh, you know, literally 10,000 years ago or whatever the, you know, the dating, uh, you know, the, the dating formula gives them. Uh, and so they, you know, there's basically a whole industry of thought around defending that idea mm-hmm. uh, when that, I think, um, that misunderstands, you know, the, the, the theology of creation. Right. God could have People much smarter than me we... doing tons of research to try to figure out how there were dinosaurs on the ark. Or... How there are dinosaurs in the Amazon jungle, you know, last century or something. I mean, it, right. it goes on and on. And so it's sort of, it's like the flat earth thing. It becomes like a religious dogma. Um, you know, I believe God created everything. I just don't, I'm not married to the idea that he did it 10,000 years ago. I'm not sure that's mm. how long ago he did it or how he did it is really even what the Bible's talking about. Mm. But um, that's the point at which it becomes like you're not open. You're not open. If it's if everything rides on that, you're just not open, which I think explains a lot of deconstruction among younger people because mm. they grew up, some of them grew up having to believe 200 equally important facts about their belief system. It was all a giant mm. Jenga tower. And if you pull one out, the whole thing comes down um, rather than here's, you know, a dozen foundational doctrinal truths. And there's 50 more that are important, but not as sure and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that phenomenon reminds me of the, um, the way we view things now and that more it's, a, it's a dogma that, Israel is the bad guys of dogma or the Palestinians are bad guys are dogma. And then I, I can only see it through that lens. I'm not open anymore to, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Does that make sense to you? The whole religious dogma angle? Yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, I'll say the simplest example because it's just easier to see with, as time passes. Uh, I think the examples you're talking about are relevant and are probably more interesting, but like the whole um, heliocentrism versus geocentrism from hundreds of years ago. Mm-hmm. Right when the Catholic yeah. Church had staked really staked a lot on the idea that the Earth was the center of the solar system, and so they, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> they they beat up right. on people pretty I mean, they, good they for literally suggesting tortured people. Yeah, right. Yeah, they you know they killed yeah, the over Spanish it. Inquisition. Right? Yes, Spanish, exactly. Um, and now yeah. the idea, like you know, I don't think I don't think we're any less serious about our faith because we think that this sun is the center of the solar system, right? So the idea of tying right. geocentrism to God's plan for the universe and the fact that, you know, in, you know, in, in, in him, all things hold together feels silly. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But there's almost right. certainly things that we have like that now. And it's, it's, it's easy yeah. to see that's from 300, a, that's 300 a, years ago, but it's just yeah, hard. That's to, right. It's a yeah. good example. Cause you can look back centuries and see how, how silly that seems now, even though that was literally a matter of life and death doctrinally mm. back then. Um, and I do think that same sort of thing is what it's like. We, we, we can't escape dogma. That, well, I think um, p- well, part of what's worth, right. like we can't escape it. It's not just an individual thing though. And I think it's worth getting to that example. And because I think, I think it applies to, you know, young earth, 10,000 year old creation stuff mm-hmm. is that 
for the Catholic Church, it, it, I'm sure that there were zealots that believed it. I'm sure many of them believed it. I'm sure they were sincere. Mm-hmm. But it's easy for us to see now how the campaign to push geocentrism was about, do you belong to my group, right? Are, do right. You, are you right. going to be contained be, within right. the institutions that I contain, right, that, that, that yep. frame the the who I am and therefore the people that I associate with that it wasn't Are you necessarily about us, right? yeah so it wasn't actually about yeah. theology even I mean like they, I'm sure they really right. sincerely believed the theological point but it wasn't about that and so that's I think right. that that's true yeah. today yeah. too for I mean for yeah. politics yeah. but also for Christians there's stuff that you know yeah. what we're really saying is when we say that um, the earth was literally created 10,000 years ago we're saying are you my kind of Christian or not Right. You know, are right. you one of mine yeah, or not? Right. And, and, and now we're doing the same thing with politics. Are you my kind of Christian? Mm-hmm. Only if you have the same kind of politics that I have. And then and then once we do that, then we've, you know, we've decided, and then the facts don't matter after that. It's That's why I like that. It's what really one of my favorite passages. It's Matthew 11, 16 through 18, which I include in the piece. Mm. Uh, and, you know, Jesus is... Uh, says, to what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her her deeds. Um, You know, both John the Baptist and Jesus were the wrong kind of people to the people he was talking to, the Pharisees. And it didn't, you know, all the details of why they were the wrong kind of people, you know, didn't almost didn't matter. We're going to fit. They filled them in after the fact. Some facts yeah. to the narrative. Right. They fill in after the fact. Um, and I think that that's something that we do a lot. And so that's kind of, and it's also why I included some of the Beatitudes in there about being poor in spirit, um, you know, about hungering and thirsting for, uh, righteousness and what is true and what is good and what is right, you know, mourning, having mercy, being meek, you know, all of these things are aspects of the kingdom that we're called to have. And yet all of those are diametrically opposed to almost everything we've been talking about. Mm. Um, and I think that is, you know, the spirit of the age is pretty toxic for Christians, I think in particular. Um, because it it causes us to violate all these kingdom principles in order to be right mm-hmm. and be on the right team and make sure the wrong people don't get included on the right team. Mm. This is maybe too big of a question, and so maybe we can touch on it briefly and come back to it. But like uh, an undercurrent of all of this, as is this, it feels like it's getting worse, right? It feels like. You know, like in the yeah. last couple of decades, things are changing, things are getting worse. I have the same yeah. feeling, but sometimes the more I talk about it, the more I think about it, the more I'm not so sure that that's true, right? Like we're coming up with all these examples from decades ago, centuries ago, the Pharisees 2000 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. I guess like, and again, <laughs> this is a big topic, but how do you feel like this is, is this human nature? Is it worse, getting worse today for a certain reason? Is it not getting worse and we're just seeing it more? Like, how do you, how do you think about the idea that it's getting worse? Well, I think, I think, and you know, partly it's speculation and partly I'm listening to people like Jonathan Haidt and uh, Greg Lukianoff who've been Mm -hmm. studying it, um, you know, as you've talked about 
Um, I think Jonathan Haidt's latest book is Why Social Media is Making Us Dumb. Hmm. But that we know more about it is accelerating it, I think. That we hmm. see everyone, you know, you could have a wacky opinion 50 years ago, and it was hard to find all the other people with the same wacky opinion, and now it's super easy. Right. Um, so that is an accelerant, I think. But also, the only resource that was that, available to everybody was Walter Cronkite. 30 right. years I mean, ago, so 50 years ago. There was no. Yeah. Right. So people got, you know, whatever. There, there's other ways that people found themselves, but it was pretty inefficient compared to today. Uh, and then also the, you know, the slow drift away from some other moral framework makes the political moral and, and raises the stakes on all of these political narratives to be moral, which causes this to cycle, I think, a little faster with world events. Hmm. Um, so I think, you know, my sense is it's getting worse. Uh, I don't know that for a hundred percent sure. Um, really my point, you know, in terms of writing the piece is, is it getting worse in me? Is it getting worse mm. in you? Am, you know, am I more this way? How do I move away from this, 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 this momentum, if there is momentum? Uh, and, you know, how do I sort of try to understand the world in an open-handed way? Uh, and that's sort of, I mean, I did say, I felt like I couldn't write this piece you know, on the, as this war in the Mideast is, is occurring uh, again and not say something about what I thought about mm. it. Um, and so I do think that it is, um, you know, one side, uh, I think the pro-Palestinian side, you know, the extreme pro-Palestinian side, which reflects a lot of official Arab thought, um, you know, and certainly Hezbollah, Hamas, everyone who's surrounding the Palestinian Liberation Organization, Iran, um, that Israel has no right to the land, you know, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. means basically, it means functionally ethnic cleansing. Mm. Um, it doesn't technically have to mean that, but that's probably what it would mean. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that from my sense of things that if Israel could live in peace in the land that they have, not even including the West bank and take all the West bank settlements out, uh, I think they would choose to do that. I think, um, that's why they withdrew from Gaza because they didn't, they didn't, they took all their, they had people, they had settlements in Gaza 25 years ago and they took them all out and let Gaza rule itself. Like, you know, you elect your own government and so on. Um, so that doesn't mean Israel's perfect. It doesn't mean Israel, you know, has not made mistakes and, and so on. Uh, but it seems to me their impulse is to live peacefully in the land and they would do that if they could. Mm. Uh, and um, Hamas is in the PLO and Fatah and Iran and Hezbollah. They're all pretty um, clear and not just by their actions, but by their words and their official position that if they had what they wanted, they would drive all the Jews out and kill most of them. Mm. They couldn't get out before they killed them. Uh, and I think that's, that's not an equivalent moral position. Um, and so I, I think that's, I do think I'm somewhat more sympathetic to Israel's historical claim on the land because it goes back, you know, three millennia. Uh, and, um, but it, you know, I don't, I, I'm going to hold that view open-handedly. I hope I hope I'm going to be able to then call is what if Israel does evil things, I can call them evil and still believe basically what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I think the situation is now pretty impossible because Hamas it doesn't appear that they really care deeply about the Palestinian people it's because they're hiding their military assets among them so that civilians will die and not letting them evacuate, mm. it appears. Um, and so it's, dif it's difficult then to interpret the civilian losses that will inevitably come. Uh, you know, we can bemoan them, but I'm not sure. I don't know what the alternative is. Uh, it's a messy situation. So that's sort of my general understanding of the things. And I think that events of October 7th were horrendous and horrific and just purely evil. <clears throat> but I also think that the millions of people that celebrated them um, openly, it's also, um, again, that's fitting right. things into their narrative. And in some cases, denying they really happened and the whole tearing down of the posters well, we don't even know they're, you know, they're, they're hostages when right. they're on, they're live streaming them, taking themselves. Well, it goes down hostage. to, yeah. I mean, well, it's just, it's, it, it, this is what's so tough is that, I don't know if you, if you, so you happen to have seen this, it's fairly popular. There's a video on, uh, I guess we're supposed to call it X Twitter. I'm still going to call it Twitter, mm -hmm. um, of a guy walking around filming a guy doing that and he confronts him about it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. You know, who's to say what it's in people's minds, but it seems pretty clear the guy tearing down the posters in the streets of Queens believed what he was doing. He believed that the mm -hmm. kids weren't actually kidnapped. He believed that he was just, he was, right. he was the one telling the truth by taking down the lies. Right. And that's just mm -hmm. so, it's just, it doesn't mean that we should concede to the lie, but we have to, I think we still have to have empathy for the fact that I mean, there are a few hucksters out there, right? There are a few scammers that, mm -hmm. or at least, and sometimes people can even briefly open their arms to a lie. But pretty quickly, people believe mm -hmm. the thing. Pretty quickly, people yeah. find a way to yeah. actually believe it. Yeah. And that's not, doesn't yeah. make the lie better or the truth less true, but... Well, I mean, that's probably a good illustration to sort of end on is that, you know, one of the things I'm saying, and this might sound sort of outlandish and offensive if you've seen that video, is we are that guy... Yeah. It's just in a different, a different topic. Yeah. Like we are committed to believe something that seems to some neutral objective person seems obviously false. Mm -hmm. um, and are, you know, are we self-critical enough? Are we humble enough? Are we aware enough to say, okay, listen, you, you know, what would that guy say if he was more reasonable that I believe the Palestinians should have the land and I believe Israel should leave, but I'm not in favor of this brutality and kidnapping that you know that would be for somebody who held that position but that's just not that that's a lot easier to say from here mm. because that's probably going to feel disqualifying to him for his in group his people group his friends his whatever uh and so that's just off the table and if that's off the table i really am incentivized to believe that they weren't kidnapped and we really are the good guys mm. yeah i think that's that that is the the you know, don't be that guy, except we are that guy right. sometimes. And when, you know, when, and when am I likely to be that guy? And how can I be aware, be humble and be meek and mourn my own tendency to do that? And, and, you know, not create a dynamic where the facts basically don't matter. Like whether you, you know, mm. whether you, um, eat and drink or whether you don't eat and drink, um, it doesn't matter because I've already decided that's not the place 
we want to be, but I kind of feel like that we often can be that place, mm-hmm. right? And that's it's hard because the other easy path, right, besides just accepting your tribal narrative, is just to say, well, it's so hard to know that I'm just gonna right. not know. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna yeah. accept a kind of general vapidly vague yeah, moral not, nothingness right. and then you can right. avoid all you can avoid the difficulty right. you can avoid the cognitive right. dissonance you can above avoid. my pay grade right that's right let's watch the golden bachelor right <laughs> right exactly exactly yeah. yeah yeah and i do think that's the other extreme that i want to avoid that we we need to be responsible people we need to make moral judgments we can't just check out right uh we have to be humble enough to know that we're the... going to be wrong but we still have to try to yep. be try yep. to find what, what's that's true right. And then stand for yeah, the truth right. that we know. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's that's a good that's a good point to end on. We're past our time, and so mm-hmm. um, that's hopefully what we'll we'll strive for and what we're encouraging. Love to hear uh, if you have any thoughts. You can comment on the on the podcast. Uh, I'd love to keep the conversation going. And until the next time, well, we'll see you then. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. You've been listening to On Culture, a podcast of the Embassy Newsletter. Have a question? Send it to theembassy at substack.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.